Okay, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 17. That's the main passage that we're going to be looking at this morning. And it's all, uh, if you're not familiar with your Bible and you're visiting with us today, you can look on the back of your bulletin and follow along where I'm going this morning. And, but today I'm uh, really looking at what another view of the gospel of Jesus Christ from the scriptures, but looking at some observations about the text that I want to uh, I, I actually focus in on this morning. And looking at really the three R's worth, three R's worth remembering. And those three R's are pretty simple. Uh, they are ruin, redemption, and regeneration. Those are the three R's that are significant really to formulate, believe it or not, a biblical worldview. Let's pray. Lord, this morning I do ask you to help me to... Lay out the word of God. I pray that you would be with those who are here listening, that you would make them and prepare them, make them ready to receive it. And I pray, Lord, that all of us would begin to adjust our thinking to the scriptures, that our view of the world, our view of life would be more in line with what the Bible teaches. And I pray, Lord, through all that you may strengthen believers and maybe for the first time, draw those who do not know you to yourself. I pray that this morning in Christ's name. Amen. Now, this week, um, we will be celebrating the holiday of Thanksgiving. It's a favorite holiday of many people, and most likely because it's not filled with all the commercialism that um, Christmas and Easter is filled with these days. But did you know? You probably did not know this. Originally, it was a day marked by the Pilgrim Fathers fundamentally for religious purposes. It was actually a day to give thanks and to fast, not to eat. I think we got that a little bit backwards today. So it was essentially a solemn and a spiritual exercise. It was commemorated precisely the opposite of what transpires today, that most Americans gather together to indulge over an extravagant meal and, of course, uh, enjoy competitive sports, uh, different forms of entertainment, and ultimately to shop. All right? Now, according to the pilgrims, though, the first, uh, actually they were Calvinistic Plymouth uh, pilgrims, their first, this is how their service of the day kind of fell out. First, they would give thanks to God for every blessing that he had bestowed upon them for that year, and they really wanted to register their sense of utter indebtedness to God on that day. A second thing that they would do is that they would, they would employ the day to give themselves to fasting, to introspection, to meditation on the word of God in prayer. So they gave themselves to devotional exercises, which inevitably issued in repentance and reformation, changing something in your life. A last thing they did, they employed this day to pray for the salvation of others. 
including the American Indians, uh, their immediate neighbors, and for those they left over in Europe. They also prayed for the new ministers, uh, that God would give them success in their minister, ministry in, uh, or missionary endeavors, and that they would continue to preach the everlasting gospel of grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Usually that's how the day went, without a lot of food. Uh, so it was prayer and fasting were the main things. So Thanksgiving was designed as really a solemn public summoning of all people to adorn themselves in sackcloth and ashes to pray, to give thanks, to repent both personally and as a community. That example really should inspire us uh, to do the same, uh, not necessarily on Thanksgiving, but during, sometime during the year to do that before the Lord. As for now, Thanksgiving days are related more to stuffed turkeys, rich pies, potatoes, and family reunion feasts. While some may give thanks and sanctify the food and invoke the name of Jesus Christ, it is hard to imagine that it will lead to repentance, revival, and reformation today because it's usually a day of enjoyment. Now, nothing wrong with that. The point that I'm making is that somewhere down the long line, we have lost its original intention. How did that happen? And we're doing something we think they've done from the beginning, and that's not how they did it. Uh, and we're not doing that. See, the ways Thanksgiving days are spent today is, of course, more like what the Lord warned us about in scriptures, that it is, uh, he warned us the snare would come upon the face of the whole earth on the last days. Now, if you look on in your bulletin or if you're in the Bible, Luke chapter 21, verse 34 and 36, it says, Be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life, and that day will not come on you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all those who dwell upon the face of all the earth. And then verse 36, it says, Be but keep on the alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place to stand before the Son of Man. So if the original intention of thanksgiving was lost and changed into something else, what else could be distorted? What about our whole view of life? What about how we look at life? Could that be distorted? Is the way people look at life today something that would line up with the way the Lord wants us to look at life? So what about your worldview? How exactly do you look at your life? I think you'll be surprised this morning some of the scriptures we're going to look at. As I was thinking upon how different the Puritan worldview was in comparison to the worldview most people have today, I, it's, it's quite alarming. We, not be, we may not be able to recover the orig- original design of the first Thanksgiving days, but we surely can be challenged to adjust our worldview to, be, to have a more biblical 
worldview, at least. The Puritan's worldview could be summed up in by the three R's I gave you. Ruin, redemption, and regeneration. These three R's, rightly understood, will not only help us adjust our worldview, but will inform our understanding of what is really important in world history. Now, just consider for a moment, history, according to the Bible, is not what man has done. World history, or really is doing, world history is what God has done. What God has done to and about mankind, that is the most important thing that we ought to look at when we consider history. The three big things in God's view of history is really simple. Jesus coming, all the Old Testament prophesied Jesus coming. The second thing is Jesus dying, everything in the Old Testament pointed to the cross. And then the last thing is Jesus is coming again. That's world history right there. And that's the way God looks at world history. It's pretty simple. We, don't, we make things off way too complicated when we try to think about things. That's simple. And it should be simple for us as believers to think in those terms because Jesus coming happened. Jesus dying happened. Jesus coming again will happen. So how do we live in light of Jesus coming again? So then, if these are what God deems most significant, then that is the only history that should really matter to us. Now, just think of it for a moment. A non-biblical worldview, if I can narrow it down to some very simple terms, a non-biblical worldview would be a worldview that can be summed up really in one word, and it's the word progress. A non-biblical worldview believes that humanity is gradually and inevitably making forward and upward progress with its ultimate destiny of perfection. In other words, given enough time, man can accomplish perfection. That's pretty much. So that word progress is really very much in the mindset in the worldview of people, of most people in the world. A biblical worldview is opposed to this worldview. The Bible teaches that human history is marked by crisis, by ruin, and by judgment. That is, the world is heading in a downward direction. It is not necessarily progressing in the way that we all think it should. We think it is, but when we look at the news and see what's happening in the world, and even what took place in Paris, we say, wait a minute, something's drastically wrong. We are not moving forward. We're moving downward. That's what the Bible says, but you know what? That's honest. The Scripture's honest about reality. I am so thankful about the reality of the Bible doesn't pull any punches. It tells us just the way it is. And you know what? I'm glad for that because when I see it just the way it is, then I can adjust things. Then I can throw things out that don't belong in my life, things that are not expedient or helpful or causes growth. I can throw those things out, and I can take on things that I'm not doing. I can pursue godliness 
with a greater intensity when I have a a biblical worldview. So let me ask you some questions. When you look at the world presently, does it make you feel optimistic about the future? Does it make you or does it make you feel pessimistic? You know, I would say that it would probably make most people today pessimistic. If you look at the world scene, are you shocked by what you see? Or have you anticipated that happening and taking place like that? By the events of our day, with all its technological advancements, things are not getting better and better. I mean, you just think of what ISIS is doing in the Middle East and how they're taking care of all their... uh, Actually, they're living by their worldview. Their worldview is to someday head to Jerusalem and put their black flag on the Temple Mount. That's what their worldview is. And they're they're carrying that out. They're looking for their Savior, the Mahdi that's coming. They're looking for him. And what precedes him, according to their prophets, is that black flags, an army of black flags will start taking over things and causing warfare all over the world until they reach their goal. And their goal, like I just said, was to conquer, pretty much conquer the world and take over and put Sharia law in and have Islam being the one world religion. So they're they're carrying out their worldview with great gusto and conviction. If Christians can be the same when it comes to the gospel, man, we can get a lot of work done. We have to be very much motivated to have a mindset that the Lord that is given by the Lord, so we're not entrapped by a non-biblical worldview. See, man is in a state of ruin and has been for the past six thousand years and will remain so right up until Christ comes back. There will be no change. So men are going to do what they think they need to do. But the emphasis in Scripture is what God does. In what God said would take place at the end. Now let's see what the Scriptures say about the consistent state of humanity since the beginning. And that state has been a state of ruin. And then, of course, it should want us to be alert in our own life about what's happening. So we're ready. We're ready for whatever comes. We're ready. Whatever happens, we're ready. Why? Because we know God's plan. We know what God is going to do in the end. We have been given the word of God to do that. So let's look at the first thing, and it's this. And I want to look at Luke chapter 17, Verse 26 and 27, and I want to make some observations from these scriptures this morning. Because the first thing is that man is in a state of ruin. In other words, man's essential nature has remained the same since Adam sinned and, of course, fell from God. And, of course, because Adam sinned, that sin has been transmitted, imputed to us, and so we sin too. So we too 
are in a state of ruin. Now, the Lord is speaking in this passage of Scripture, and he's giving some interesting uh, instruction to his disciples about the last days, but he says it, and he does it with some, and I, and I think sometimes we may miss what's say, being said here in the Scripture, and I want you to notice in verse number 26, and this is what he says to them. He says this. Now, the first thing is he's talking about the days of Noah and the destruction of, of a worldwide flood. And he says in verse number 26, and just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. Verse 27, they were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Now, what we see here is God's judgment upon man in ruin. See, man can't get better because he's a sinner. He can't go forward and upward. He has to go downward because of his rebellion against God, of of his separation from God. So what we see here is God's judgment, just like in Genesis 6-5. Remember what it says there? Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. But we also see something else in this passage. We see two groups of people. We see those who are rescued from judgment, and we see those who suffer the full wrath of God's judgment. And you know what? There are no other groups. These are the two groups. So, Way back in amongst the ancient people of Noah, when Noah was there and he was building the ark and he was telling them that God is going to send judgment if you don't repent. Uh, and of course, he preached and preached and preached and preached and preached and preached. And well, judgment came right up into the last day. But then I want you to notice in verse number 28, he doesn't just say the days of Noah. He goes forward in history a little bit, and he talks about the days of Lot, all right? And, of course, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. In verse number 28, it was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating. They were drinking. They were buying. They were selling. They were planting. They were building, verse 29. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. So again, what we have, we have man in ruin and God's judgment upon sin. Again, two groups of people. Those who are rescued from God's judgment, very few, very few in Noah's time, and those who suffer the full wrath of God's judgment. So in a sense, we're looking at man in ruin. All right, that's our worldview. That's how we see in Scripture. That's reality. So in each historical event, man's nature produces the same manifestations and results no matter where on the historical grid they may live. That man's demeanor is sinful and his mind is at enmity with God. In fact, James tells us, you adulteresses, do you not know, James 4.4, 4, 
that friendship with the world is hostility towards God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So right in Scripture, it's saying, listen, if you want to be friendly with the world, if you want to take on the world's view of things and how the world looks at things, then you are actually putting yourself up against God because that's the only thing you can do is because there is a sense of ruin that has come upon man. It is man's wicked defection from God that brought about such desolation and dis, uh, just destruction of the soul. It's because man has moved away from God and continues to move away from God, and therefore what happens is they're just left to themselves. They're left to their own thinking. They're left to their own devices, to their own passions and, and, and will and all those things that drives their life. Now, if you notice in your bulletin, there's another passage I want you to look at if you don't uh, have your Bibles. It says in Romans chapter 1, verse 26. Now, of course, this is a familiar passage, but it informs us in these passages about man's mind, that man's mind is reprobate, or another way of saying that is depraved. It says in verse number 26 of Romans 1, for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in the desires toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Verse 28. And just as they did not see fit, here is the key, they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer in their thinking. God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. So in other words, the Lord is saying, listen, if you want to live that way, if you want your worldview to be that, if you want to just follow the passions and desires of your heart and do these wicked things, then I'm giving you over to those things. So mankind has a depraved mind that generates unlawful, rebellious, selfish, irrational, unjust, and downright weird behavior. That's the result of sin. So we are experiencing today some very bizarre twisted and un- unnatural behavior in our day, are we not? Right? And what was ten a few years ago, sin is today accepted. And it is even accepted by our colleges and universities and our own government comes behind them, making it very difficult for anyone to stand and keep the line, keep the standards. Right, And if you do say something, then you are the marked person. You are the evil person. You are the person who, and, and myself, are going to be in trouble. But you know what? That's the way it really is, isn't it? And it's always been like that. That sin was right there in Sodom and Gomorrah. So, see, right there with those ancient people of old, still stuff, same stuff going on today, that the worldly mindset reaps the waves of God's judgment over and over again. Sinful man wallows 
in the cesspool of immorality, social confusion, insane political turmoil, and economic instability. See, the consequences of defection from God, coupled with the penalties levied by God for unbelief and wickedness, will be compounded and will compound human misery and suffering as we end, head toward the end days. Suffering will be abounding amongst people groups as we move toward that second coming of Christ, that next pro- part of God's program, uh, birth pangs are going to come about. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars, right? We have those, but the Bible says those are just birth pangs. They're the forerunners of what ultimate punishment will be and w- those who disbelieve will suffer in the lake of fire or in hell. So, see, man is... Man in, in his utter depravity and bondage of will is selfish and lives only for what is lowest in his nature and for what is temporal. Now, if you look at our passage again to see what I am referring to, you'll find that the Lord identifies a very serious sinful condition that he's telling to his disciples, once he, and he's talking about the coming of the Lord. Because they're asking him, Lord, when is this going to happen? And this is what he tells them. He, so he's identifying, now, let me just say this, sinful conditions that the world doesn't think is sinful and we often don't look at as sinful. So it doesn't matter where you are, the Lord brings this up. And so these very sinful conditions, and really an evil worldly mindset, which manifests itself in two particular ways. See, a non-biblical worldview will manifest itself really daily in two ways. Here's the first way. The first way, this worldly evil mindset is noticeable in a person's life is that that person begins to ignore the highest part of their human nature and only live at the lowest level. Now, what do I mean by that? Look back to verse number 26, and let's look at Noah's days again. Because we're just like these ancient people. Look at what the people thought most in verse number 26. It says, and just as it happened in the days of Noah, it was also being the son of the man. Here it is, verse 27. They were eating. They were drinking. They were marrying. They were being given in marriage. Now, what's wrong with that? See, that's the question. What's wrong with that? Those are all good things. I don't see any sinful stuff going on there. Well, look at, let's look at also verse number 28, Lot's days. It says it was the same as happened in Lot's days. They were eating. They were drinking. They were buying. They were selling. They were planting. They were building. Now, What's wrong with those things? Jesus is saying there's something very wrong. Well, if I answer that question honestly, I would say there's nothing wrong with them in and of themselves. Because God's given us all things to enjoy. And these are things that we all enjoy. 
see, when God created man, he created him body, soul, and spirit. God provided us food to enjoy. He provided us companionship with family, with friends, and that special close relationship with that man or woman that we have in the bonds of holy matrimony. It's given to us to enjoy. Also, God provided industry and work for us to enjoy. So, see, the question is, what's wrong with doing these things then? Well, when these become all that people live for, and they ignore the spiritual, and they leave out God's highest and greatest gift to us. That is to have a relationship with God, to have communication with God. That's where it all goes wrong. So it's just like in the garden. That's why we're under ruins. Because we have not only moved away from God, our whole worldview is based on these things, the lowest part of our humanity. It is wrong when all people can see in the world immediately around them is fancy cars and fine furniture and big homes and people taking extravagant vacations. So, see, people want to pursue those things. They want to be like those who do those things. So, in other words, they want to pursue the pleasure of the world. Are there pleasures in the world? Yes, there's pleasures in the world. But remember what it says in 1 John, there's the lust of the eyes, and there's the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. See, all those things are temporal, and they're passing away. Why would we put all our marbles in one basket? We shouldn't do that as believers. See, people forget life on earth is short, and eternity is long. They don't consider the next world that they will possibly, matter of fact, they will face, come face to face with God. It is upon people who fail to realize all this that sudden calamity will come upon them. Why? If you look at Noah's days in verse number 27, it says, And the flood came and destroyed them all in the days of Lot. And when Lot left Sodom, well, then. God sent fire and brimstone and destroyed them all. So ultimately, see, people live that way up until the last minute and destruction comes. That's going to happen with people. So if you see, really, from our text, that the people in each historical context, the people had no interest in other than life in the immediate. Whatever they, however they can gratify themselves now, that's what they lived for. No thought to cultivate the spiritual part of their being. All they lived for was eating and drinking and marriage and family and business and pleasure. In fact, in the, the lot days, it adds some things. It says they were also building. In other words, they want to make their home here. They want to keep building and advancing like the Tower of Babel and stay here. I don't want to go anywhere else. I want to stay right here. I don't want to go anywhere else. There is nowhere else for a lot of people. This is it. 
there's, there's nowhere else, there's no next world for many people in their worldview. This is it. So, man, eat, drink, and be merry because that's all you got. You don't have anything else. So man's highest part, remember, is spiritual. It's to acknowledge God. It's to have a relationship with him. So the Lord is saying to his disciples, listen, if you're just living for the here and now, if you're just living for these things, you have an evil worldly mindset. And the second thing that comes out of a non-biblical worldview and is manifest in daily life is the second way this worldly evil mindset is noticeable in a person's life is that it ignores the next world and lives only for this present temporal world. In other words, in both cases, people are indifferent to God. They're just indifferent. And you know what? I I would say today people are numb. They're just going along. They're hoping for the best. They're just numb. They don't know where to hang things uh, when it comes to a worldview. They're just trying to do the best they can, they think. And that's it. There's nothing else. You know, and, and they hope in the end that somehow God will look at them with favor. See, this is where we all here today come into the equation in the present day historical context. Because if you look at verse number 26, it says this. See, in other words, we live in the last days. And what's going to happen at the end of the last days? Progression? Upward movement? No. At the end of the last days is destruction. That's what the Bible says. Right? Look what it says in verse 26, Luke 17. And just as it happened in the days of Noah so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. You see that? So when Jesus comes again, he is coming with judgment upon the world. In fact, in verse number 30 of Luke 17, it says, it will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. Is this not an exact picture of what people in our present day live for? They live for eating and drinking and marriage and the family and business and pleasure, buying and selling business and money-making. Do they do those things to bring glory to God? No. They do it to still have more comfort and more pleasure. See, the goal is to have as much fun as possible. Everything today is about fun. If I didn't have fun, it didn't mean anything. Right? I didn't have any fun. Everything's boring. Well, people are really most concerned about their homes, their cars, their sports, their games and hobbies, their education, their jobs, their bodies, or anything else you can add to that list. It's all about them. It's all about what they want. See, they pay, in other words, little attention to the spiritual part of them, to the higher activities of humanity. They do not prepare for eternity. They do not 
think, why should I worry about the future if I am having things go pretty well for me now? They say, I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. They think either there is no God and no afterlife, or they think themselves good enough in their own eyes that God will look on them with favor when the end comes. At least they hope they will. They don't consider that it will be too late then. Was it too late for the people in Noah's day? It was too late. Noah preached 120 years while he was building the ark. Repentance and faith. He was a preacher of righteousness, the Bible says, and he warned the people about the wrath to come. He preached repentance and God's means of deliverance for 120 years. Now, if you look at verse number 27, I want you to notice something else in Luke 17. It says, they did all these things right in the middle of verse 27 until the day that Noah entered the ark. They did all these things, verse number 29, but on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, what happened? Judgment fell, right? But remember, there was two groups. There was the group that were saved, and there was the group that fell under God's full wrath and destruction. See, the question must be this morning is, which group are you in? Either those who will be rescued from God's judgment, the saved, or those who will suffer the full wrath of God's judgment, the unsaved, separated from God for, for all eternity in the lake of fire. And if, and if there is a hell, of course, I believe there is because the Bible teaches that. If there is a hell, when would you want someone to tell you how to avoid going there? That's a good question. Because remember what it says in Matthew 10, 28, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him that can destroy both soul and body in hell. Who's that? God. See, God has full authority over all things. So now, I I really drew for you a really dismal picture. Right? But you know what? Dismal is reality. Ruin is reality. But thank the Lord, that's not the end. Remember, there's two other R's. Matter of fact, these two other R's become important to understand, according to God's word, the judgment of God someday will soon come, and no one will escape. However, God provided one way to escape. There was one way in Lot's time. There was one way in Noah's time. There is one way, of course, in our day, or the main emphasis of of being delivered is, of course, the Lord God, our Lord God, not only exposes sin and identifies sin, but he does something about sin. See, it's about what God is doing. He atones for it by bearing its punishment. So this next word, quickly, is the word redemption. All right? God's done something. That's the word redemption. He provides rescue. So, dear people, Do not ignore God's gracious warnings and his offer of deliverance. I think you ought to give up 
your own plans to save yourself if you're trying to do that because you can't. The only way to, to escape God's wrath is by God's own plan of redemption. Like I said, it was the word of God that tells us that Noah, a preacher of righteousness, preached for 120 years. So if you notice in our text, in Luke chapter 17, verse 24 and 25, God tells us there's a way of escape. It says in verse number 24, for just like the lightning, when it flashes out of one part of the sky, shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But verse 25 says, but first, he must suffer many things and be re- rejected by this generation. So, In other words, something had to come first that God would supply to humanity, to all humanity, that would secure their deliverance, and that was his redemption. This is God's plan of salvation, that Jesus would suffer in our place. He would take the wrath of God in our place. So Jesus is the one who was crucified and died in the place of sinners, it is by his very death that those who believe in Jesus can be pardoned and forgiven of their sins. So according to God's plan of salvation, all people are currently under the wrath of God. You know what? And they can't escape themselves. We have all sinned against God. We all merit punishment. We have forgotten God, we have ignored God, and lived for the sole purpose to to, uh, please in ourselves and find as much pleasure as possible in this world without thinking about God. So we're all guilty here. No No one can escape that because we live in this sinful world. See, all people are all also absolutely helpless to do anything about their future punishment. It says in Ephesians 2.1, and they were dead in their trespasses and sin. Why can't we do anything? Because we're dead spiritually. And then in Romans 8.7, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So as long as we are restricted to the mindset of the pleasures of this world and our lust and our desires, we can never please God there. So the incredible thing about God's plan is only God, through Jesus Christ, can save sinners from his wrath and condemnation. Like Acts 4.12, as there's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In John 10, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And then in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So Jesus is God's remedy. Jesus has provided the way of escape, the way of salvation, and Jesus offers forgiveness of sins and eternal life to all those who are under ruin, to all those who cannot save themselves, and that is everybody. 
So ruin is man's condition. Redemption is God, what God has done and what he offers man. But there is another word, another R, and that is regeneration. Regeneration is really you can know all those things and still not be in God's family. See, regeneration is where you get born again. You get born again into God's family. In, fa- in fact, you can know those things and never really move toward them. That would be very tragic to, to not know that you're right with God. So regeneration simply means to be born again. When a person is born again, he sees and enters the kingdom of God, and he does so always by repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Like we say, see in John 3, 3, and Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot be born into God's family unless he turns from his sin and believes in God the Father's only solution for that sin, and that's Jesus Christ. And remember, faith always includes three things. Knowledge of what's going on, knowledge of God's plan of salvation. A second thing is you can know things and never move any further. The second thing is assent. I assent to the plan of God's salvation, that Jesus Christ died in my place, that he took the full wrath of God for, for me, that I cannot save myself, and that by faith and repentance, if I believe in Jesus Christ, Jesus would give me everything that he said would be offered to me, and I can be saved. I can be born again to God's family. But a person could assent to the facts and still not be saved and born again because... There must be trust in Christ. There must be that step where you trust in Christ. It's like the John 3.16 passage of Scripture, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes is not judged doesn't come under God's judgment, but he who does not believe is judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment, that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. So if you want to be in the group that is saved, then there must be a response. You can't just have knowledge of it. Matter of fact, there's, there's movements towards faith. And the first movement is repentance. And, and it's, that movement includes you hear from the truth in your heart, and you start getting it. You start seeing it. The Spirit of God begins to shed light upon it. And then you begin to say, you know what? The way that I was thinking, the way that I was going what I was believing, what, what, what I was trusting is totally wrong. And you begin to rethink deeply in your heart about what you heard about Jesus Christ. That's what included in repentance. But then that move also includes a second move, and that's the move about Jesus Christ. Repentance really does mean a change of mind about what Jesus has done. He offers great blessing in the kingdom of God and that kingdom, or that to obtain that, you must begin to tr- transfer your trust 
to anything you're believing and trust completely and totally in him. So there's repentance, and part of repentance is believing, and then there is the third move. That's an intentional step to reach out and take what is promised to you and given by God. It's an intention. Now I get it. Now I see if I don't trust completely in Jesus Christ, I'm going to be like those people in Lot's day, in Noah's day, because judgment's coming. And there's only two groups, the saved and the unsaved. I know the only group who's going to be in the rescued is going to be those who get rescued by God's means of rescue, Jesus Christ. And you get that. You know, the light bulb goes on. I see that now. I get it. And I want to do something about it. Because when you get to that point, that's why we believe that, you know, once the Spirit of God convicts you up from that point, you can't resist it anymore. There's like an irresistible grace saying, what do I do now? That's why people cried out, what must I do to be saved? That's the question. Why? Where does that come from? It comes from a deep conviction in the heart that I know God supplies salvation to me, and it's only in Jesus Christ. So see, it moves you to confess him as your Lord and Savior and believe him in your heart, all the things he's promised you, and you know you trust him, that is true. But once that happens, there's also another move of faith, and this must be included. And it's this, to follow him, not just to profess him, but to follow him. It means an intentional daily practice of following and doing what Jesus did and having a worldview that the Lord did did give marriage. He did give food. He did give work. And all those things I'm to enjoy, but that's not it. My relationship with God is more important to those things, right? And I'm going to seek that first. And then what happens, your whole worldview and the way you look at things changes. It, it switches right around. And now you're in a place that in, in a very real way, I can enjoy all the things God's given me, and I can enjoy the truth that God told me would, would take place and happen and enjoy both things, even if I'm suffering, even if everything that I used to have is taken away, even if my circumstances change, it doesn't change my relationship with God. No one could take that away. Not even death can take that away because many people who are servants of God in Scripture died for their faith. But that was just a doorway into the presence of God because God's taking care of everything else. See, that's the way to live. That's the way to go out there and be thankful. That's the way, as I, the first Scripture I read, to be on guard. That's the way to keep on the alert at all times. Why? Because will we be in the presence of God someday? The answer clearly is yes. And so God's taken us from ruin, offered us redemption, provided for us the spirit of God so we can be born again, regeneration, and then what? Glorification, right? Into the presence of God, living with the Lord for all eternity. That's where God, that's what God is doing. And those are the most important things. So, see, you have to say to yourself, where are you at in that process? Are you just thinking about that? 
or have they become crystal clear in your life? And if they have, have you done anything? Have you trusted Christ? Is there a change in your life? Do you desire to follow him? No matter what's going on, no matter what your friends say, no matter what your professors say, no matter what other people have influenced, what is going on in your mind as far as your living, the highest part of your being, you created in the image of God, is a spiritual part. My relationship with God is the most important thing in this on this side of eternity. Is it not? See, that's how I live. That's how we're supposed to live. And if we live like that, then we will have a biblical worldview. But we will also do something else. We will be concerned. Somebody asked me the other day, what do you think about you know, Syrians coming into our country? Everybody's asking that question, right? I said, of course, it's a matter of wisdom. We have to protect our people in our country. We, have, we can't let anybody in here. We need to vet people before they get here that we make sure they are. But from a biblical theological perspective, if God brings them here, the church ought to evangelize them, right? That they are people who need the gospel. Maybe all this stuff is going on in the Middle East and people are being thrown out of their homes and burned out of their homes to come here so the gospel can go to them because we can't reach them over there in a war zone. See, we have to think that's God's worldview. You know, I don't like things that are going on in the world as much as you don't either, but you have to always look from God's perspective. Okay, if they come here, I'm going to be cautious, but I want to get in the gospel because they need Christ. They need to go from redemption, from ruin to redemption to regeneration. They need the kingdom of God. That's what they need. They need Christ. So, see, that's what we ought to do. And if the church doesn't do it, who's going to do it? If you don't do it, who's going to do it? I don't know. No one's going to do it. No one's going to do it. So the Lord's doing a lot of things in the world. I don't understand them all. Some of them I have a lot of questions about, so do you. I think the, insecu- the insecurity is, uh, in our world has changed. Uh, we're, there's a, a lot of insecurity in the world. But I don't know if that's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. Because when things are too nice and too secure, we don't even think about God. No, we do. We eat, drink, marry, be given in marriage, work, plan, build, and that's it. We don't think about God. But when there's turmoil and there's insecurity, we think about what is God doing? What if the day came today? Where do I stand before God? Will I go into God's presence? See, those questions could be answered now. And believe me, you want those questions answered. Everybody does. I pray that you do. If you don't, if you have questions, you don't know where you're at, please come and talk with me. I want to share with you the gospel. But if you do know, please, let's not sit back on our laurels. Let's be aware, attentive. Let us be, like the Bible says, on guard. Soldiers are on guard, right? Let us keep alert. Let's not fall asleep and get lured to sleep in this world. Let's always be vigilant, spiritually vigilant about what's going on. So we, our lives could be used by the Spirit of God at any time to do whatever the Lord wants us to do, and that we'll, we'll continue, continue to do, preach the gospel and move it to, her, to where it ought to be. So I, I pray this morning that um, you'll be in the right group, the saved group and not the unsaved group, and that you'll realize that your, your worldview would have been adjusted to understand that from ruin and judgment, God offers redemption and regeneration to all who will come in faith and repentance to believe. 
and then follow him with all your heart and be a servant in this world so he can use you any way possible within his church. And all God's people said what? Let's pray. Lord, again, as I come before you today, Lord, I guess there's some, Lord, there's some sin that we have to, uh, that I myself have to confess. And that, Lord, is the sin of really sometimes not looking at the world correctly. The sin of, Lord, going through the motions and going through the daily things and, and hoping for things and doing things that everybody else is doing. But, Lord, somehow ignoring you and forgetting you. I pray, Lord, that that would not take place anymore. But that would be something that we're very vigilant about. Our time of reading the Word, our time of thinking through the Word of God and as we read it and as we hear it preached, our time of adjusting things in our lives so our, our view of the world is more biblical and less what it used to be, knowing, Lord, that this world is going on a downward slope, but your plan is to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to those. And thank you, Lord, for those who have received you. Thank you, Lord, for those who have been rescued by the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the Gospel. And I pray, Lord, that we would always be faithful uh, to be aware of those around us who don't know you and be able to share the Gospel with them. And I pray, Lord, please save them. Save our neighbors and our families. Save people that are going to move in next to us that are a little different than us, and maybe from another country. And Lord, let us somehow befriend them and for the purpose of showing them God's plan of salvation so they too can enter the kingdom of God. I pray that for us, Lord. So Lord, bless even this week, Lord, as we, we consider our Thanksgiving holidays. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be more sober about them, that, Lord, we can take them more seriously, uh, that, Lord, it is a time to thank you. It is a time to pray to you. It's, it is a time to ask you to advance the kingdom of God it is a time, Lord, uh, to just even repent of our sins and to adjust our lives so it could be more in line with what pleases you. And I just pray, Lord, that every day we have an utter sense of our indebtedness to you about the great things you've done for us in, in salvation. And so, Lord, go before us this week and make us more aware of our days than we ever were before. And I pray, Lord, that our main desire would, would bring to give you glory and honor uh, for what you have and will accomplish. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, you may stand up as we sing our